Dublin Bay South is a land of contrasts. From the sweeping plains of the mystic land of Balls Bridge to the experimental stilted village of Grand Canal Dock, where high-tech sea pirates fight democracy daily using only protein balls and overpriced gym memberships. It's the land of that bit of terra nura nobody understands and home to the red brick castles of Ranala and Rathgar where senior council pull up the drawbridges at dusk in a ritual first instigated by failed Renew and PD soldiers determined to keep the ruffians of Rathmines at bay while collecting their ever-increasing rent payments. This complex ecosystem runs from the home of bloodthirsty news hounds in Donnybrook to the frozen tundra of Sandymount and the lawless hinterland of Dublin city centre where rival tribes battle nightly running the ancient gauntlet of South William Street with only plastic pints of Rockshore and speakers playing 90s club classics as their arsenal of weaponry. This is the home of the neon canyons of Irish Town, the ever-heating desert of Ring's End. Will Harold's cross be too heavy to bear? And who will calm the Portobello Harbour revolution? What secrets does the canal hold? And it is, is it even possible to remember what Klonsky is for? For decades, this mysterious domain was ruled by an eclectic mix of high kings. Their rulership passed down bloodline to bloodline. But when self-anointed boy king Owen Murphy was ousted from his throne by a cursed mini basketball hoop sold to him by a Harcourt Street shaman, banished to save the world from nuclear holocaust or you know just like sick of everyone being mean to him about housing the sacred seal was broken a new ruler was needed in this parliament of the damned get ready to be bet into united ireland's epic month-long obsession with a by-election like no other apart from all of the other ones in a time of crisis as the winds of change blow across this desolate cratered landscape it's the juiciest contest of them all the drama, the goss, the scandal, the scarlet TikToks. It's the Dublin Bay South by-election 2021. Welcome to the Battle for the South Side. This is the United Ireland Dublin Bay South by-election podcast bonanza. Welcome to the battle for the south side to Klonsky and beyond Lorcan um, Andrea do you think we're overdoing it a bit there um, <laughs> <laughs> you appear to be hyperventilating slightly on the video link perfect <laughs> 32 counties united by people my name is Una and my name is Andrea and this is our first installment of the United Ireland Dublin Bay South by-election special. Okay, so every week on United Ireland, normally we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. But for the next month, we're honing in on the election of the century. Maybe even slash year. <laughs> To date. <laughs> Every week we'll be bringing you the juiciest campaign trail news. Biggest clangers. The worst social media activations. <laughs> There's going to be loads of them. The most pedantic controversies. And the best bits of an election campaign that we're absolutely bet into. All wrapped up in our expert analysis. That may be uh, take our liberties. <laughs> <laughs> we're also going to be bringing you 32 questions episodes with all of the main candidates. 
we've recorded some of them. They are pretty special. Um, I'm very excited about them. In our first episode, though, we're setting the scene for this battleground. That means so much more than a seat in the door and presents an existential moment for your Virag leadership and its centre's housing as the ongoing dominant issue of the day. Could it offer a turning point for Sinn Féin in Dublin? Has everyone taken their eyes off Labour? Or could the Greens triumph this fiefdom? This podcast runs entirely on the fuel generated from our bullshit, uh, <laughs> filtered through Patreon. Um, why don't you mine some Bitcoin and uh, convert it to euro or dollars and then put that money uh, into our Patreon? Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland to keep this epic um, Peter Jackson level production really uh, ongoing for the next month. In this episode, we're going to set the scene for the battleground. So let's zoom out. What does this by-election campaign mean? Big picture, Stiley. Andrea, why are you excited by this by-election? I am excited about this by-election, one, because I've been starved of any drama for so long. Well, obviously, about a global pandemic is pretty dramatic, but, you know, like frivolous drama, like who's going to run our country. Uh, But also, I feel like it draws a line under pandemic politics a little bit and brings us into a new phase of conversation and uh, of priorities that we're focusing on things that affect our day-to-day lives and aren't about a potential killer virus. So mm. I think it brings us back to back to basics, I suppose, of where are we going to live? How are we going to make money? Uh, or how are we going to like have money? How are we going to all live an equitable life? And how are we all going to, I don't know, socialize and be alive and live our lives? And yeah. I think the live our lives part has taken on such a bigger meaning after the year we've gone through. And I think between that and housing, we're going to, I think that's why I'm excited about it because it's not just about like a popping a TD in. Yeah, I think you're right. I also think back to basics is a good uh, tagline for, for, for some of the candidates. Um, But yeah, you're so right that like it's almost a distraction, even though it's part of a main, another main like electoral politicky thing. And also there's loads of compelling candidates. Um, And I guess like the context of it is really important as well. Maybe even just what it symbolizes, because we talk about housing all the time in this podcast and, you know, the ghost of housing kind of looms over this by-election not least because Owen Murphy's uh, career move is is what triggered it. And also Fine Gael's insistence that they're going to run an election on an issue that they've been absolutely hammered over. Um, I don't know why they tend to make those moves. I mean, they've been very poor um, campaigners, in the, uh, certainly under Leo Radker's uh, leadership and in the past few years as well. So it's kind of like, let's just you know, it feels like they're just kind of going head on into an ideological vision of housing instead of going, everybody hates us on housing. We've been really shit at it. So let's avoid that. I think that's interesting. They've been really shit on housing apart from the their base who they're promising like tax breaks for their million dollar homes. So 
million do- million euro homes. So I feel like they're just going, look, we're not going to change other people's minds. Let's just stay really focused in on being shitbags to our base who suck it all up. Yeah, I think you're dead right there. This is definitely a moment where Fine Gael is like getting more Fine Gael-y. Um, yeah, it's that's- like they put on those like things that horses wear. Like Linkers. we can't see all you people around us. All we can see is our base and we're just going to keep going for them over and over. And you can see it in their comms and you can see it in their decisions that they're making and what they are doing interview-wise and not. And you can see it in like the shit they're coming out with like in the property tax in the in the, in those kind of things so yeah it's banana town the taxing tax breaks for high earning remote workers who are obviously going to flock flock to ireland because of our super duper um public services and high quality of life and low cost of living and uh, the the amount of gaffes that we have where where people can live but i think um it's interesting that the, kind of both the media and um, Fine Gael themselves are, are very much pitching this as like a two-way battle uh, between Fine Gael and Sinn Féin. But and we... I, go on. I think that goes back to their blinkers again. They're like, if they keep saying it's between the two of them, they're going to scare their base of like, oh God, Sinn Féin couldn't possibly have them, so we have to vote for Fine Gael then. So that is a good strategic move. And the fact, I think that Simon Harris was using the lectern the other day to announce that it was between the two of them in a government capacity. You're like, babes, that is not cool. Mm. But we have a different kind of angle on this, though, I think. Um, And so we are going to be approaching it in a different way because in United Ireland Towers, um, we think it's a four-way race. Uh, between Fine Gael, Sinn Féin, the Greens and Labour. But at the moment, and we might have to do a little, one of those little barometer thingies uh, every week, because at the moment, how do you feel, who do you feel is the strongest candidate right now? I would prefer not to say that until we have got our tarot reader predicting who's going to win. Yes. Um, Once we do that, then I'd feel more comfortable because it would be based in something. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Tune in next week. Uh, But I would like, see, this is the, I can't like, who do I feel? I am, see, there's there's quite the difference. Mm, I don't know if they're, well, I hmm and haw a bit more. (laughs) Well, this is, this really sums up uh, how close this, this by-election is to call, right? Yeah, I think, um, I think Ivana should get it and I would really like her to get it. I think Lynn Boylan would be an excellent uh, person to get it and I think the popularity of Sinn Féin in the recent polls and recently would would say that that is a very strong possibility um i claire is very strong on city living um in the greens so i think that's a very good strength and they're, and they're really going for that angle in their campaigning for and her self but that is her strength i suppose um and then sure James is one is one of the lads. He's been hanging out in Sandy Mount and you know, bopping around, saying hello and being in Ranelagh. 
half the cabinet. Yes, okay. <laughs> half the cabinet trapes and after them uh, daily. Yeah. So this is this like what's interesting about the polls, um, and we might we'll go back to the polls in a little bit, but. It's so hard to extrapolate what can what would happen in a single constituency based on national polls, because if you went by the polls, Labour now at three percent, I think Ivana wouldn't have a chance in hell. But if you strip away the party machines, let's say, of which Finnegale has so, is putting so much behind uh, James Gagan, and obviously they have a particular base in a particular part of this constituency that has a tendency to vote. Um, on paper, because the other context to this was the argy-bargy over candidates in both Finnegal and the Greens, where arguably both of those parties aren't running the candidates that may have given them the best shot in Hazel Chu and Kate O'Connell in terms of how those how those candidates both transcend their parties and in a way, and also how they have the highest name recognition in the constituency, I think that like um, if you strip all of that away on paper, when you look at the different candidates, you'd have to say that if all was fair, Ivana Bacic would probably have the best chance because even though Labour, you know, aren't particularly dominant in that constituency, I think they do have a councillor or two that, that, that are quite popular. They had a seat there for 30 years, Rory Quinn. But Ivana is also that kind of magic candidate that you need in a by-election that, again, her profile transcends the party. And no matter what one's affiliation may be, there's a tendency to kind of look at somebody who has been around for a long time, who has a very good record, who has huge uh, name recognition obviously lives locally, lots of support there and also, you know, is very attractive to like the middle classes, let's say, who may not be worrying about the more acute mm. um, issues that, that people are facing. And You'd have to see that on... The two mobilising referendums, like she yes. was so instrumental in both of them and they were so politicising for so many people as well. Yeah. So now that said, of course... The, the machine, the campaigning, the canvassing and everything can warp who you think might be most likely to win. I, I think also, it's... as a side note, I think people want the Sock Dems to do well. Yeah. Like, I think there is, like, a, a love for that party in general that's growing. And I think, um, yeah, I think the purple could, could bleed into the waters. Is that mm-hmm. poetic? Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but I guess all of this kind of comes together to create the juice in this election. It's kind of a battle of ideologies. It's a battle of identities. The candidates don't just represent their parties. They kind of represent a particular mindset and direction. And the by-election might actually tell us an awful lot about where electoral politics is going in this country. Unless it doesn't suit us that someone wins that we don't want it to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I I think if 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 James Gagan wins, it'll be uh, on the back of the base really being mobilised and a tremendous amount of campaigning and publicity and resources being put behind him. Um, when you look at the amount, like Leo has been canvassing with him numerous times, loads of different ministers, like. 
they're going for it. Do you know what I mean? They're really, really going for it. So flat out Tribeca. <laughs> if they get over the line, it'll be because of that machine. Um, whereas rather somebody- than his like accomplishments or quality as a as a potential TD. Yeah, like I, I'm not. That's not to take away from what he's done as a counselor or whatever. But like, you know, in terms of political pedigree and. Um, accomplishments, as you say, you can't really compare Ivana Bacic and James Gagan. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's very obvious that she's much more accomplished. But so, in that, that all basically adds to the juice. Uh, there, it was obviously quite a chaotic start to the campaign. There are social media fuck ups, multiple stories coming out about people's uh, choice of, uh, of of lobbying activities or accidents they may have had on a ski slope and things like that. Um, and some really, uh, you know, questionable social media content. Um, but the online is obviously going to be a big part of this as well. Uh, less so as the summer goes on, but within the constraints of the pandemic, that will be a space um, where where people will be putting their ideas and policies out. But of course, as all of us know, as probably everybody who listens to this podcast has canvassed um, once or twice, uh, it is about what happens on the ground, on the doors, feedback from the doors, um, and whether or not they'll there'll be kind of reputational damage that will scupper someone's chance within, within the campaign. And whether people will come out for a by-election. Yes. Although I, I think that is like the main thing. I think it is mad talking to a few friends of mine who are from the constituency and have younger brothers and sisters and hearing stories of like, you know, 18, 19 year olds really engaged in a by-election. Um, also, a lot, uh, uh, most of those people, you know, in fairness, equate political engagement with support of Sinn Féin uh, because that is the generational shift that has occurred um, that is going to be very interesting as well. Sinn Féin's whole, whole, you know, approach to elections has always been to mobilise and get out a vote um, and often to mobilise and get out a vote that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael in Dublin ignore. That means um, younger people, it means students, it, it very often means uh, people in working class areas, working class communities, um, but of course, when we look at the poll in terms of Sinn Féin support, you know, the support is also really high amongst, you know, people in their 50s and stuff like that. So it's all to play for. And over the next month, um, we're going to be bringing it to you. But first, on uh, this battleground episode, setting the scene, we are going to bring you Andrea's rundown of uh, this fascinating, fascinating demographically constituency. Andrea, it's time for your constituency facts. Well, well, well. So, Dublin Bay South. Now let's look, can we? Can I just ask you one thing? Sorry, before you get uh-huh. into this, how would you characterize this constituency? When you think of Dublin Bay South, what do you think of? Home, <laughs> uh, but also I think of it as. A town of two cities, or mm. a constituency of two towns, or whatever. What's what? What would be a good metaphor for that? I'm trying. Yeah, to say constituency. Here? There is two. There are two cities in it. Yeah, it's two worlds. Like I feel, it's very split. It's very like 
there is the very the red brick mansions and then there's the inner city kind of vibes and the the raw not the rawness but like the kind of the people who are fighting and the people who are fighting back fighting to to climb the ladders almost Mm. that's a bad thing it's like it feels like there's people who are going out protesting for equality and equity and then it feels like there's people who are cleaning up and just hoovering all the assets Mm. that's my kind of main split so it's like the struggle and the ease or something yeah yeah and it and i think that that i think it feels like there's one candidate for the ease and then there's a lot of candidates for the struggle Mm. who who will that that will be kind of split so i think that will be like you'll have, yeah, I think, yeah. You're dead right. Like Finnegal just need their base to vote for Finnegal, whereas the centre left and left are going to be getting a vote that's split in like four or five directions, right? Yes. So yes. fill us in on some of the demographic curiosities of this kingdom. So, DBS has fewer younger families and teenagers than other constituencies. In fact, the population of under-18s is half that the national average. That's mad, isn't it? Mm. Uh, Will I say that after? I'm going to say that after every fact now. 76% state their nationality is Irish, lower than the national share of 87%. That's mad, isn't it? Uh, The constituency is incredibly secular in Irish terms. So 22.7% of residents have no religion compared to 9.8% nationally. Um, And I think that's always a bit of a lie in terms of what people say on the census. But we go by census life. 55.6% are Catholic compared to 78.3% nationally. And that's absolutely mad, isn't it? (laughs) 69.7% of people usually resident in Dublin Bay South identify their ethnicity as white Irish, which is a lower proportion than the corresponding national measure of 82.2%. Mad, is it? (laughs) That's actually not mad. Uh, Metropolitan, we'll call it. Uh, There's a higher proportion of those classed as professional workers. Um, Do you know professional workers is a load of womp, if you ask me? Yeah. Like, what does that mean? What you work, you sit at a desk and type at a computer? Piss off. That's another podcast. 18.3% compared to 8%. Um, and managerial and technical workers is 33.7% compared to 28.1% um, seen in the state in 2016, according to the census, which is absolutely mad. Uh, in a city, isn't it? Mad. Uh, 63.3% of the constituency are working. And that's a full 10% higher than the national average. Um, But of course, that's going to have changed a lot during the pandemic. Mad, isn't it? Uh, Across Ireland, the proportion of people living in flats and apartments, and I think this is a huge one, um, is 11.8%. But in DBS, it's 49%. So half the people in the constituency live in flats or apartments, which presents its own challenges in terms of canvassing but also the policies. And obviously we've been covering these uh, issues so much um, in regards to Dublin with the student living, co-living, 
Right. So all that kind of stuff. So that's going to, that's a huge issue. Um, uh, 44% of all people living in the constituency are renting from a private landlord, which is so much more than the national average of 18%. So that's like, that's like double. Um, if I was to do a Carol Vorderman of it. Uh, and the main mode of transport is walking. Um, contrary to what all the car parks would have you believe who won't let you pedestrianize the streets. Uh, very high educated constituency, 57% whose highest level of education is third level or above compared to 28.5 nationally. Um, 30% of families are at a pre-family stage. Interesting term. That's not our term. That's not our term. <laughs> pre-family stage. What does that mean? About to insert or something? That's a bit crude. Like three times the national average. Can we talk about that for a minute? What is pre-family? It's something that is it like a, I saw on the CSO uh, website. It's 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 basically uh, family unit, so like household units, but. Uh, like I don't know how they about to have kids but yeah I don't know how they measure it yet but it's like married couples or maybe not married just couples who are who are a household but who don't yet have children obviously not every fucking couple has children but this is actually a a demographic like a pre-family yeah okay that's the that's actually bad uh I'm, I'm into that. I'm going to look at that. 46.3% of families do not have children, um, like nearly half. Uh, Carol Vorderman strikes again, which is much more than the national average of 29%. So, in a, what does that all point to? Well, I think it points to um, your uh, thoughts at the start about this kind of how, how, the, how the constituency is seen and how it's quite split. So it's full of people who are wealthy, for sure, who have like what could be conceived as like high powered jobs um, in sectors where you earn loads of money, um, who are more likely to be secular, who are more likely to be high, highly educated, who are more likely to walk to work. Um, so the majority of public housing, for example, when you look at the different uh, maps of public housing in the constituencies, really concentrated in the south inner city, so although it's seen as a wealthy constituency, there are plenty of people who don't fall into that stereotype or, or demographic or whatever. And that kind of goes back to what you were saying um, of how the, the constituency wealth really kind of increases when you go to like Ranla, Rathgar, those, that kind of area. And also, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a place of huge gentrification as well. Portobello, Ringsend, Irish Town, it has, you know, Grand Canal Dock in it. It covers like the majority of the south of the city centre. Mm-hmm. So they're like, you know, we can talk about the issues in a second, but we're going to just do a quick rundown of the candidates. Okay, most of you will be familiar with these now, but who are the candidates, Andrea? In the blue corner, <laughs> we, we have James Gagan from Fine Gael. In the red corner, we have Ivana Bacic of Labour. In the actual red corner, shade, it's Bridget Purcell of People Before Profit slash Solidarity. In the green corner, it's Claire Byrne of the Green Party. 
in the slightly different greenish kind of bluey corner, it's Deirdre Conroy of Fianna Fáil. In the purple corner, it's Sock Dems Sarah Durkin. The independents running are Peter Doody, Mannix Flynn. Uh, Ain't Who is running Mairead Tobin. Renua has Jackie Gilborn. And the National Party has someone who isn't even worth mentioning on this podcast because their words, hysteria and idiocy is hateful, shameful and embarrassing. And I hope at some stage in their life they deal with their own profound insecurities and stop redirecting their own self-loathing towards others. Great rundown there. <laughs> Great rundown. Okay, let's get to the first issues. We're going to do other issue pods, but let's get to some of the issues that we think are going to be up there. Andre, you mentioned some of the um, some of the issues in terms of city living, but what do you think, and what have you been hearing? Uh, from our interviews that we've been doing with with candidates and canvassers about what's going on on the doors, on the ground, on the doors. <laughs> on the doors, it's all housing. Housing is king in this election. Um, housing and the way people are choosing to live in an indoor and outdoor capacity due to COVID, due to having to realign their lives and questioning their lives and the value of those and how that is made up of more play, I suppose. And that goes across the board from kids to adults. If it's kids, if they have playgrounds, if they have parks to play in, if there's open spaces, up to uh, teenagers, if there's sports pitches, up to uh, young adults who want to party um, and who want to socialize, and then up to a bit older I don't know what the correct term for that is, but who want to have cycle lanes, nice places to sit um, and chat and congregate and have teas and coffees and stuff. So uh, that is the main thing. So that kind of covers that kind of covers amenities, public space, housing prices. Uh, The impact of COVID and vaccine rollout has actually been quite uh, popular will that still hold by the time the election actually comes about will be an interesting thing because we'll pro- we'll be more than likely uh, quite further along uh, in vaccine so that might that might fade down a little bit yeah i think uh, the astrazeneca weight has stung a lot of people in the constituency as well like the 60 to 69 cohort who are very very likely to vote and the impact of of their weight for a second shot um and then rent obviously all the housing all the uh, fl- apartments and flats um, that are being rented um, that's a huge thing the the average rent is 2,111 euro in the constituency now if I was to say a word to describe that I would pretty much be sure that I would be bananas <laughs> like <laughs> banana town like that is absolutely bananas um, and yeah the last thing that has we've been told has been coming up a lot is childcare, um, for especially women, and I think women will be a, a quite a like obviously it's a very female heavy led, um, what's the word? Page. What yeah. do you call the list of candidates? Ballot sheet. Ballot sheet. Um, <laughs> so. That is interesting in itself. And like you wonder, it's, yeah, uh, women's issues are definitely coming to the fore. And I think the National Maternity Hospital as well 
is is bubbling up at the moment um so th- definitely the the relics of repeal not the relics the the, the re- what is wrong with my words repeal is definitely still a big issue um in terms of the uh, rollout of it and the effects of it um so right across childcare maternity care um and also i would say the the and even though this is not specific to politicians, I think it will be a big issue that partners haven't been allowed into maternity hospitals. And that is down to each of the individual maternity hospitals. But I think that will definitely have an impact as well. Mm. And I think you're so right to say that, like how housing and space and place goes into all of these different things, like public space, quality of life in a city, nice things, amenities. But I think as well, what will probably be an uh, underlying issue in how people want to live. Like, I think that's so pertinent to what you say of like how people want to live their lives is stuff around remote working and things like that. Like if you have a constituency that has a lot of people who are professional technical <laughs> workers um, and, and people, you know, a lot of those people are going to be working in tech or they're going to be working in offices remote work and quality of life is going to be an underlying issue. While people may not be bringing that up directly on the doors, I think you're right, Andrea, to say that the sentiment of this election is going to be about, because the constituency is in the city as well as in kind of nearby urban villages, it's going to be about what is the place that we're in like? How can it be better and who's best suited to do that? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that a big brand impact politically is not going to happen, like like the Finnegal Sinn Féin binary. But I think that you see it with James Gagan talking about a 15-minute city Obviously, as you say, Claire Byrne and the Greens, you know, has... Uh, James Gagan put a Ford uh, thing in council to put a car park right beside the Swan Centre one. That's not conducive to a 15-minute city, really, is it? Absolutely not. I would just say. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's what, it's what people say they want versus what the, their record shows and what, and what they signify with a lot of integrity, let's say is different. Totally. And also just on the remote working, it was interesting. Uh, Dunn's Chamber of Commerce put up a tweet the other day about remote working saying, would you take a pay cut if it meant you could remote work? And everyone was literally like, are you absolutely joking? Like it should, co- like offices should save, even though they don't because they still have to pay for heat and blah, blah, blah. But like you can't just take a pay cut because you're doing the same work, just not in a different place. Yeah, I mean, as ugly as it is, that probably will, all the rights and stuff around remote work are going to start coming into play, whether it becomes like a legal right, whether it's how, it's going to be a lot of poaching happening based on if if there's a lot of companies doing similar work like in tech or, you know, there's going to be a lot of companies poaching based on terms. Um, it's going to be the new free breakfast in Google, isn't it? Yeah. How many days can you be sitting down? you know, in your iron jumper in the Burren, Instagramming your office, etc. Um, today's desk view. Uh, okay, right. Today's office. Today's office. 
Dogs are legs. Okay. Now we're getting into the juice. Uh, where our producer Andrew is really getting into the uh, spirit of this battleground state slash constituency. He is the John King and the Donny to our whoever the other people are. Um, so it's time for campaign news. Dublin Bay South by election. Breaking news. Red alert. Okay, we're early on. I think the campaign news will heat up as this goes on. In the, this was more a set the tone episode. So we're, we're kind of showcasing our little segments that are going to be happening mm-hmm. rather than them coming to life right now, correct? Correct. Thank you, Andrea, for that. <laughs> what would you say the early doors news is? So, so the early door news, the writ has been passed. We have a date, July 8th, Tuesday, election time. Good day. Tuesday. What do you think? Yeah, I mean... Friday has the highest turnout usually, doesn't it? Yeah, and there's always been arguments for Saturday or like Friday election over Saturday. You know, the interesting thing about this one is, you know, the way in elections there's always arguments about the students have to be able to travel to blah, blah. Like nobody's gone anywhere. Everybody is here. There's going to be no people out of the country even though it's a summer election, there's going to be no loads of students off on J1s or whatever. So because everybody is basically barricaded into the constituency. It could be a really bizarre turn. Yeah, could be a weird, because this constituency also weirdly for somewhere that is kind of depicted as wealthy, but of course that is not true. Just parts of it are. um, It has low turnout. And in, in fact, in the last general election, it was under 50%. Now, clearly that indicates that a lot of people who um, usually vote for Fine Gael weren't that enthused by doing so, even though Fine Gael had the largest vote share. Obviously, Kate O'Connell lost her seat and the Greens got like 2,000 votes over the quota or something. So the ma- there's a massive Green vote there that nobody's really talking about. There is a mm. massive Green vote in this constituency. And the Greens are kind of, even though they're in government and have been criticised, they are kind of a... a a happy middle ground for a lot of middle class people who don't want to be seen to be right wing or whatever. But and who, they just got the climate bill yeah. over the line. But the turnout in this constituency is really weird. Um, but again, this by-election is happening in such a weird context. It also is fair to say that the electoral register is a bit of a mess in certain urban constituencies in particular, especially where there's high rent, uh, high, high rental places like when you've loads and loads of apartments and and flats and houses for rent as this place has 50% of people renting um, in and around you get a lot of people who may move register to vote and then move on so there's lots of people kind of left on the electoral register Um, but yes that is a big piece of news uh, that interesting election date what else is happening? Uh, Candidates are out of the block leaping over the starting line. So a lot of the uh, launches happened last week uh, or this week and the posters have started going up. Um, Yeah, that's kind of it really, is it? And you can still register to vote. Can you? Yeah, you can by checking the register. How do you do that, Anna? Well, Andrea, you go to checktheregister.ie and you can see if you're uh, registered and if you're not, you can fill out their, download and fill out their forms, change your address if you've just moved there or never registered 
or you can add yourself to supplementary register. Supplementary register. Oh my God, the supplementary register. Mm-hmm. And get on that sweet, sweet, yet somehow seemingly totally inac- inaccurate electoral register. But now, as you say, Andre, we are showcasing our various segments, which will be packed full of content uh, over the next month. And speaking of content, it's time for Content is King. So we just take a flash drive and we, and we plug it in. You know, get into her cloud and then steal all her cookies, right? And then we're straight through the firewall. Okay, literally none of what you said made any sense. Content. Hashtag content is king. There have been good and bad uh, digital bits at the outset of this election. Obviously, as you say, Andrea, we'll be adding to uh, those as the weeks go by. How would you assess as a um, digital savant uh, yourself and a maestro of online campaigning and mobilisation and content that cuts through the noise? How would you assess the hashtag content of this uh, election? James loves his hashtags. Oh, hashtag and hashtag the beach hashtag the sweat the water is so clean two days after they gave an eco lighting message anyway i i digress uh i would say if i was to give an overall impression and something that's stuck in my mind that i can't cope with and i just don't understand the value of it and maybe you'll be able to inform me but i think it's this is the main content of every campaigner it's just a picture in a place. We were in Ranla today. We were in Sandyman today. We were in here today and a picture with a, a leaflet. That is not going to make me want to vote for you. What yeah. is the point of, like, I know, like, here I am meeting a puppy and blah, blah, blah. But, like, just because you met a puppy in Portobello, I don't understand the point. I Okay, so this is... And really excellent observation. And it is where the majority of traditional party campaigners fall down in that. And that's why we like, you know, their content is king thing is obviously a slag because a lot of politicians think that content is relevant by virtue of it existing. So you see this a lot on some of the like really terrible um, online um, or social media presences that some politicians have. Obviously, Simon Harris is, is the director of elections. He's running James Gagan's campaign. Simon Harris is lauded by mainstream media and other politicians of being, you know, the king of social media. Obviously, a lot of Simon Harris's social media stuff is like terrible. And one of the reasons that it gets a lot of um, views or interactions or whatever is because people are ripping the piss out of it. But you cannot, you can't, you can't uh, segment ironic views or hate views or like shares that are based on the state of this and people who are actually, you know, think it's good or, or engage with it. So, you know, campaign time is the absolute pinnacle of, you know, <clears throat> benign, worthless uh crap to just show like, look, I'm canvassing, look, I'm here, look, I'm here. Um, and to kind of, you know, 
every all of them will presumably have these like, okay, we'll have 10 bits of content a day and blah, blah, blah. And like for a lot of um, traditional campaigners who who utilize social media, it's just like whatever that content is, it doesn't matter. But of course, things have moved on an awful lot since like 2011 and there needs to be <clears throat> a purpose to it and it needs to be engaging um, and so there is a good example of someone who's done good, yes. good piece content. Who was that? That's Bridget Purcell's vi- video. I thought her initial launch video was really strong. It she got she had all of her messaging. She had her point of view. She had her policies. She was uh, like tying it to a local issue that's really really relevant for younger people in the area, which is around Portobello Harbour and how that was shut off and around public space and around how um, how public space has become so commercialised as well. So I, I thought that her, um, that video was really, really good. And um, they're putting some good stuff out on Ivana's stuff from her, her actual appearances on other media, which I think is useful. But I think um, really, you know, the video that Fianna Fáil made for their Video. candidate videos that they Deirdre, Deirdre Deirdre do we have a Deirdre in our thing we've loads of Deirdres oh cool that's a good campaign like that what oh my god like now I can't believe I just thought about that again it was literally the most like sorry are they're obviously like having some microdosing going on and being a whole lot <laughs> because whoever came up with the idea to be like let's tap into like mythological Deirdre and just say her name is Deirdre and that's the campaign we've got a Deirdre oh she's our campaign (laughs) like what the hell yeah that was um I mean it was pretty unreal also their like Crips and Bloods filter that they had on TikTok didn't they have some like gang filter on TikTok with like oh yeah rolling with the homies and it's just like what are you what like just- what are you and then what the first video what was the first video the first, where they she didn't say a word yeah and everyone else is just talking about her and then it was just Deirdre looking at the camera it was like could she have a, like a chance to say something so yeah, there's clearly an issue there with the Isle um, engagement uh, on Fianna Fáil's, uh campaign. Haven't seen that much from Sock Dams. Maybe I've mi- maybe I've missed some stuff. But look, fundamentally, you know, politicians just need to stop joining TikTok. And unless you are actually, unless you are at, like, you don't join a, a platform just so you can You're be like, it. I'm on TikTok. It's like, and what? What's your strategy? Uh, yeah, I just think, I just think from someone who made content for a living, you sit down at the start and you go, what are we trying to achieve with this? What is the platform we'll use? What's the messaging that will go through it? And how will we do that? As opposed to going, I'm here, I'm here, or here's a video that's kind of gas. You're going for election. You're not get, like, I know, obviously, actually, this is a side note uh, of really good campaigning and content um there was a there was a I'm not sure it was a main election or a by-election so my physio's in Tala and when I go to him he's like this is the best campaigning ever there was a man 
whose second name was Baby, running for Fine Gael in the constituency. And there was posters all up around it. And in the last week of campaigning, they put a sticker across it saying, nobody puts Baby in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone voted for him because they're like, isn't that gas? So there's a lot to be said for being clever. And that is is clever, fine. Um, And if we're, we're stuck in the, we are still stuck in the days of, posters going up around the city and how you can be clever and not just have a smiling picture. So I think when we talk about content, it's not just about making content. It's about being clever with your content, be it online or on your posters or whatever you do. Like if I was, I think if I was running for a campaign, like you tap into like, like street art and stickering and engaging content and bring things alive and connecting with people or Deirdre videos. (laughs) (laughs) every week on our uh, epic dbs coverage we are going to be assessing who's had a good week and who's had a bad week okay i messed up right i messed up but i will from now on listen to every bit of advice you give me yeah i'll go on question time wearing a push-up bra and a fez push-up bra and a fez now it's early doors as we say <clears throat> and obviously there will be many good weeks and many bad weeks to come um often at the same time um <laughs> who who's had a good campaign moment and who's had a shit one so far do you reckon uh good one it's looking good for Sinn Féin. They had a good start with the polls coming out of um, their really, um, the Ipsos poll. They were like 31% or something, wasn't yeah. it? Um, so that's good for Sinn Féin, a good, a good little kick. And I think uh, there was words that Fine Gael got the news while they were mid-Ardesh and it put a little dampener on things. Um, also, I saw how many people were tuning into the Ardesh was very low. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think it was, somebody was saying, uh, a Green Party campaigner was saying that when he was working on the Green Party, their views were like four or five times that and it wasn't a pandemic. So it was interesting that they were so low. Mm. That is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and people will literally watch anything right now. So <laughs> as our month-long by-election coverage uh, attests. Um, yeah, interesting. Um, I think the government has also had a good week. And by proxy, um, Gagan yeah. and Claire and Deirdre, 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 Deirdre. Um, but uh, the, the thing is, though, the government is in such a, Uh, is in a situation that no Irish government has ever been in before and they're getting a bounce for the rollout and a bounce is different to a trend and they also had like shit like everybody hated the government in January, February, March and now people are like oh I'm getting my shot I love the government so like that's very fickle and it may not necessarily uh, fickle doesn't trickle down fickle don't trickle as um, yes as Mary Robinson once said, no. <laughs> um, but so I think that uh, the the one person who had a bad week kind of carrying on was the whole, I mean, genuinely, 
It's one of my favourite story arcs of political journalism in a day that has ever happened. Sinn Féin have fake pollsters. Oh my God, this is absolutely pulling. Which it is, by the way, terrible. Oh God, not a normal party, la la la. And then Leo Racker's like, I know James Gagan's like, um, I actually was myself a fake pollster for Renew. And then Leo's like, uh, yeah, like I, you know, hire students. And actually, I did it as well when I was in Young Finnegan. It's like, oh my God, how are you all this bad? <laughs> it's just appalling. So um, Gagan being a, um, you know, wearing, wearing a little glasses with one of those moustaches and like a little pipe being like, hello, I come from market research land. Do you like Renew or no? Um, at the doors in the constituency. Now that we're talking about it. The claim that we all won repeal whilst being part of a party of starting starting a party that was set up specifically and only to oppose abortion. Well, I mean, that's not spe- only how, why Renew was set up, although it is true to say, although I think James Gagan obfuscated about this, that Lucinda Creighton, you know, left Fine Gael because she lost the whip because she wouldn't vote for the Protection of Life During Pregnancy bill. And then went on to set up Renewa. Renewa, which had like a shred of credibility on the back of her profile at its outset, was going to kind of seem like this is kind of like a PDE kind of like party, economically centre right, that is also anti choice. And then obviously Renewa just like turned into this, you know, marble losing exercise for most people involved. And you know, seems to be just reduced to like trolling random people on Twitter. Um, so yeah, it's not a good look at all. And you you can't be out like, especially in a constituency where it's like, dude, Ivana Bacic is one of the candidates. <laughs> you can't just be like me. I'm the cool woke guy in in this party. Uh, just happened to be in this party. But apart from that, and apart from the other one that I was also involved in, you know, kind of at, at its establishment. Forget all that. I know the kids and they like repeal and gay people and gay people marrying. And I also was doing that too. No one person should lay claim to any of those things. They were social movements that were characterized by their collective power. Um, So uh, I don't know if Gagan canvassed for repeal um definitely Deirdre Conroy uh was involved um at the outset. Ivana Batrick's obviously involved, Claire Canvas for Repeal, Sarah Durkin Canvas for Repeal. Um yeah, so I think that was it just again speaks to this issue uh which I'm sure his, his campaign is trying to overcome of like authenticity. Do you know what I mean? It's like, are you authentic? And because I do think that that's really what a lot of people are looking for. Yeah, but I suppose when you come from a party that put out their, like, remember they put out their flyer, like, we delivered repeal. Um, that's a bit of a step, isn't it? Yeah, they, they happen to be there. Um, so, yeah, um, that's good week, bad week. I hope you've enjoyed uh, getting an insight into how these episodes will be structured, along with our interviews with the candidates, which will be going out as bonus episodes. Um, it's going to be an exciting time. Uh, it's something to watch, much like the Euros or Wimbledon, uh, uh, except it's happening right here 
in Ireland, uh, it's juicy and it's brilliantly close to call. So anything can happen. We're going to be here. We're going to have um, predictions that really shirk the traditional political science and indeed political analysis approach. Um, some of them may be rooted in the tarot, some in horoscopes, some with numerology, numerology um, colour theory. Oh, yes. Um, all of the things. We may even just get a cat to wander around people's posters and whichever one it stops at could be the winner. All of this makes as much sense as any analysis you're going to hear or read elsewhere, except uh, in our case, we actually have a good record of predicting who wins elections <laughs> and referendums. So, uh, Andrea, thank you for your insights today. And uh, thank you for the insights. The podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan, who, you know, uh, Andrew John King, um, Decab County exurbs of Atlanta type stings happening from him. Thank you, Andrew. Crystal Clear gives us tune chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all our design. Andrea, what's a tuna chicken roll this week that canvassers can listen to as they are knocking on the doors, on the ground, in the constituency, on the ground, on the doors? So I did have an absolute bop of Who Made Who immersion that is really good for pounding the pavements. But then I thought, you know what? It was so poignant listening to your words over Winds of Change that that would be our first tuna chicken roll of the DBS battleground. Great. With thanks to the CIA for that song. I've been Una Malali. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland, and that was the battleground of DBS. Stay with us; it's a juicy month. Follow the Moscow down to Gonky Park, listening to the wind of change. August summer night. Soldiers passing by Listening to the wind of change We could be so close Like brothers The future's in the air Can feel it everywhere I'm blowing with the wind Of change